you take your Bibles and turn to Hosea chapter 2. Uh, Hosea chapter 2. We're, we're going to talk this week and next week, Lord willing, on uh, rebukes lead to return. Uh, I, I looked at this as many different ways as I could think to look at it and uh, really came down to this. If we're going to really examine Hosea, we can't just preach one message last week and kind of pull the curtain back and show you how the relationship between Hosea and Gomer is representative of God's disdain for Israel and the way they were being promiscuous with their worship. Uh, while Gomer was being physically uh, promiscuous, I think also that always involves emotion and intellect and all those things. When the physical happens, the uh, emotional and intellectual has already occurred. But spiritually, uh, that's how Israel was treating God. Um, that's why God had the prophet Hosea marry an unfaithful woman so he could really relate to the message God was bringing him bringing to Israel through him. Uh, it's an obvious, obvious analogy for the way Israel was acting toward the very one who had done three things. Called, him, called them as his own special people, blessed them immeasurably with a wonderful land in which to live, and delivered them from slavery. Now, I hope that after last week talking about the whole picture, uh, the next two weeks we can break down everything that happened that, that really gives a better picture of, of all of that. But I hope that it's not lost on us that the very things that God had done for Israel, let me say them again, called them as his own special people, blessed them immeasurably with a wonderful land in which to live, and delivered them from slavery are the exact things that God has done for us. He called us as his own through the redemption offered by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So God has done that for us. He has called us his own. Number two, he has blessed us immeasurably by allowing us to be born in a free country or to be in a free country. Uh, you don't, if you've never traveled around the world, you don't realize how blessed we are to be able to do what we're doing today. There are many nations on this globe where you cannot gather like this in public to worship the one true God. You have to hide and sneak around because the government will come and get you and throw you in jail or at least tear down what you're trying to build. So we have been blessed by being allowed to be in a free country where we can worship him freely. And then number three, he delivered us from slavery through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Romans 6, 17 and 18, Paul writes, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So the very things that God had done for Israel... We could say the very same has been done for us. Called us his own, given us a land in which to live, and redeemed us, bought us out of our slavery. So with the backdrop of what the relationship between Hosea and Gomer represents, as well as the similarities between Israel of this period and modern Christians, I want us to take the next two weeks and I want us to look at this. How and why God's judgment was handed out, and then what it looked like for their promised return to the Lord to take place. Now, so to do that, I'm going to need some help. <clears throat> Here's my goal every Sunday when I get up and preach. I, I'm not up here to try to entertain, though I hope you are connected. I mean, I, I don't want to just stand here and read uh, in a monotone voice. I want you to be connected. I, I want to try to communicate uh, as best as my little Florella brain can do it. God's truth to you from his word through his servant to his people. But I don't want you just to hear that message and tell me at the foyer, good message today, preacher. That's a good word today, brother. Enjoyed that. 
Well, that was funny when you said this or whatever. Here's what I want to happen. I, I want you to be uh, drawn in. I want, you to be, I want there to be an appeal for you. If, if, if this is what I can give you over 14 chapters of Hosea in, in one sermon, I want that to lead you to want to go home and read and study to try to figure out the stuff that maybe I wasn't able to cover. Because I'm going to be honest, no matter how good of a job I do this week and next week to cover 14 chapters, we're going to leave a little meat on the bone. Now, I don't know about you, but I embarrass April. She won't let me order a, a T-bone when we go out to eat. Because I love to get that meat right off the bone. Anybody else? That's the best piece of steak is that steak and the T-bone that's right up there next to the bone. And if, if nobody's watching, I'll look around and make sure and I'll pick that jewel up and gnaw on it like a bulldog. Now, I want you to have that appeal to do that with the Word of God. So I really hope that everybody's bringing a Bible to church. Uh, maybe you got one on your device. That's okay. As long as you can be like diligent to not get led over into Facebook or the Twitter or Instasham uh, while you're supposed to be looking at your Bible on your phone and you're over there checking out, you know, I don't know what all you're looking at, but let's not, you know, you need to have a Bible. You need to have something where you can read along with me. And especially today, we're not going to stand and read a segment, a small passage. We're going we're gonna to just fly over Hosea 2 all the way really to 14. We're going to focus on some, some high points in there in chapter 2, chapter 4 today. But over the next two weeks, we're going to cover a lot of ground. It would behoove you to have your Bible. It would really behoove you to go ahead and be reading Hosea. I hope you're reading through the Bible with us. We're in Genesis this week. Uh, or start, we'll be starting next week to, to kind of the second half of Genesis. But I hope that you would take what I'm saying here and you'll go, hey, I want to go look at that a little deeper. I want to go read that a little more and try to glean some more off of the Word of God that maybe I missed in my preaching, which is likely. So here's what we're going to do over the next two weeks. Here's my goal anyway, to look at three rebukes, two today and one next Sunday. And then next Sunday after the third rebuke, we're going to look at what God promised about how they could and would return to Him along with what He would do for them in return for their repentance. I want to remind you that only when God draws and we repent can we come into His presence because He is perfectly righteous. He is holy. We cannot come into the presence of God with unrighteousness. We must repent. We must relent, let go. Repent is a 180-degree turn. I was going towards sin. I did a 180-degree turn, let go of all that, and went towards the holiness of God. And for these points, the three points of rebuke primarily, I'm going to be taking a little bit of liberty. Now, I will be dogmatic to say I will never compromise Scripture, and I don't believe that's what I'm doing. But rather than try to... Uh, give you more of the Israel point of view. I'm trying to bring it into modern day, uh, maybe America point of view to help us understand the correlation. Uh, the, the first one is the biggest one that's kind of different uh, than, than how they originally would have labeled it. But we're going to go with this word, politicians, to help us understand better how it would apply to us. All right, that's a whole lot of groundwork. Is everybody with me? All right, four y'all. If you're with me, say Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we need you today to give clarity to your word, not because your word is unclear, but because we are confused by all the different noises going on around us in our lives. We have all kind of things that we've brought in that, that are pulling for our attention. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us to draw close to you today. Help us to focus our attention on you today. Father, I must decrease and you must increase. Hide me behind the cross and speak clearly through your word, through your servant, but most importantly, through your spirit to help quicken our hearts to understand how we can glean from this message to Israel a message for ourselves. 
Lord, speak to us today for your glory and for your sake. In Christ's name, amen. So, Hosea chapter 2, the first thing we're going to see is a rebuke of the politicians. All right, a rebuke of the politicians. It begins with a rebuke of the leadership that Israel had using the relationship between Hosea and Gomer as the backdrop. Look at verse 2. This is a key verse here. He says, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she's not my wife and I'm not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. God speaks to Israel through his prophet and tells her that her leaders have led her astray and her leaders should be rebuked. So he's telling them, rebuke your mother. In other words, rebuke your leaders. Your leaders are supposed to be patterning for you how you can walk more closely with me, and yet your leaders have become drawn away by other gods, drawn away by other things, other focus, things that pull them away. And he's telling them, sometimes you have to rebuke your leaders. Your, your, your leadership is not leading you in the right way. For us, the best representative for us would be to think about politicians. If your politicians are leading you in the wrong way, you don't need to follow. Uh, we need to make sure that we stand on the Word of God and not listen to what uh, politicians say that we should believe or think. And he says, remove the promiscuous look from her face. Now, how many parents here today, let me see, if I, who, who am I going to pick on today? <laughs> Brian. Well, let's, Brian and Sherry, I think both of y'all, and Allie can give representation over there. Have y'all ever said to one of the three girls, wipe that look off your face? Or I will wipe it off for you. Now, why do we do that? Anybody any of the parents done that? You usually say, you usually don't say it like that. You usually say it like this. Get that look off your face. Especially if you're in public. You're like, what? Why, why do we say that? Why do we want them to wipe that look off their face? Because their face, their face is indicative of what's going on in their heart. If your kid has a salty look on their face when you tell them to do something, you know that if they are obedient, they're not fully obedient. You say, go to your room, and they go, all right, that's not obedience, that's fear. Like, I'm going to my room because I don't want to be like knocked out. Uh, we had time out when I was a kid. That was like after a whipping where you just like time went, just time was gone. Like I woke up and was like, what happened? Where have I been? We ask our kids to wipe that look off their face because their face is a reflection of what's going on inside, and that's what he's telling them. Not only are your politicians, not only are your leaders being promiscuous, but they are, have a spirit of promiscuity. They, they, they made the decision in their heart that they're going to be promiscuous. They're going to try to adhere to the law, but their hearts are going to be departed from God. Remember, you've, we've seen that in Scripture. You try to walk the letter of the law, but your hearts are far from me. That's what he was seeing. So he's saying, hey, don't even get... By the way, this, another way to say it is, don't even let the thought go into your mind. Y'all ever done that? I don't want you doing it, and I don't even want you thinking about doing it. That's really what he's saying. He's saying your, your leadership... Is, is adulterous to their core. He wants to wipe the, the look off their face and take the adultery from between their breasts. In other words, from the center of their being, they are adulterous. They're not thinking like it, but not being like it. They're not being like it, not thinking like it. They are it. And so he tells them, you need to rebuke them. He alludes to divorce in verse 2 and the act of stopping these adulterous thoughts and actions. Later on, we see in Isaiah 50, verse 1, a very similar concept. So these uh, few hundred years later, and Israel still is being Israel. 
And he says this in Isaiah 51. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's divorce certificate that I used to send her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Look, you were sold for your iniquities and your mother was sent away because of your transgressions. This is a serious rebuke and it's one that we should take upon ourselves today. If we are following a political party and that political party is departing from Scripture, and can I just be real transparent for a minute? They do. Not my party preacher, bet me. <clears throat> Look, you can go back and listen to stuff from less than 50 years ago where the parties seem to, I, I was watching the video the other day, and I won't talk about who it is because it, it'll get all, everybody gets all political. But this guy is saying some things that today would make him on the opposite party. And that's like 30 years ago. And man, he's serious about it. He's, he's, let me tell you, he's just, boy, he's laying the law down. And today he's saying something 180 degrees out. You know why? Because they lick their finger and they put it up in the wind and they figure out how they need to vote or think or speak or what platform they need to adhere to or what direction they need to go in. The, the United Methodist Church is splitting all over the country today over issues just like this. They're having to decide, are they going to be biblical and stand on the truth of God's word or are they going to compromise for the winds of change that are blowing through our society? And this is the same thing we see Israel doing here. Maybe not the same uh, topics, maybe not the same subjects, but it's the same attitude of the heart. Uh, if Israel's leaders refuse to obey God, then he says, let them go. Rebuke them, divorce them, get away from them. And by the way, this aligns with what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7.15, where he says, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such case. God has called you to live in peace. He's saying if, if you get abandoned, if, if, if you're married, if you're in a, in a, and by the way, that's why we always tell our kids, and I hope you tell your kids, don't, there's no such thing as missionary dating. All right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him to, he's lost, but I'm going to bring him to Jesus through dating him. No. Well, she's lost, but she's fine, and so I'm going to date her, and I'm just going to get her to come to Jesus after I start dating her. Seldom works, if ever. If you're unequally yoked and you have a lost partner and that partner abandons you, Paul says, let him go. You can only do so much. You can, you can try to save your marriage and work for your marriage and God hates divorce. But if that person leaves and abandons you, and that's what Israel's done. That's what the leaders of Israel were doing. And God's like, if they want to leave, you got to let them leave. You got to rebuke them for not being what they're supposed to be and let them go. Typically, prostitutes become prostitutes to meet financial needs, and that's similar to what was going on with Israel. Israel, one of the most blessed nations, the most blessed nation on the earth, uh, go look at some of the different conflicts they've been involved in. Israel is a very small little Judeo-Christian uh, speck in the middle of uh, the Muslim world, and yet they remain. Why? Because they're really good at protecting themselves? Because they're really adept at politics? No, because God is keeping his hand on them. And rather than recognize the hand of God on them because of their faithfulness to God, they got arrogant because they were the children of God and thought they could live any way they wanted to live. Woo, that sounds like the church. Well, I walked that aisle back in VBS back in 1961, so I'm good. I can drink and cuss and carry on and cheat on my wife and cheat on my taxes and lie and gossip, and I'm good because I did that back then. That's, what, that's the same thing Israel was doing. We're the children of God. We can live any way we want to. We can worship these other gods. 
We don't have to adhere to the scriptures. We don't have to adhere to the law. We can do whatever we want to because we're God's chosen people. And so they would worship Baal because they were prosperous and they wanted to be more prosperous and they thought it would make uh, friends with these other nations. God would say, don't intermarry with other people. And then they would go intermarry with other people. Why? Because there was an arrogance to them. And if we're not careful, we will do the same thing. You know, I've said this for years. God gets far too much blame for the bad in the world and not nearly enough credit for the good. Israel would say, God has blessed us so we can do whatever we want to, which really they should say, God has blessed us so we should be even more obedient. Our obedience should align with our understanding of God's blessings. I hear people say this all the time. Well, if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? Again, faulty premise, there are no good people. But let's assume there are some better people than others. I I don't ask why do bad things happen if God is so good. Here's what I ask. Why does anything good happen if God is so holy? See, we got to get our perspective right. I I don't question the goodness of God because bad things happen. I, I, I have a hard time comprehending the righteousness of God because I know how wretched I am. And any good thing that happens in my life, I think I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve God to bless me because I'm rebellious at heart. I didn't deserve God to bless me because I'm an adulterer at heart. I'm a promiscuous woman, just like Gomer, just like Israel. I have that tendency. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I would go wrong 10 out of 10 times. Why Why in the world would a holy God allow me to be one of His children? Because of His grace. Israel was blessed by God, but then worshipped other gods. Uh, Before we're too, like, let's go bash Israel today. Uh, Remember that the New Testament church and even modern-day Christians are the same way. Listen to some of the words from the New Testament. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why would John the Baptist, I mean not John the Baptist, why would the Apostle John write these words? Because he saw the problem. He saw people in love and enamored with the world, and he said, Hey, if you love God, you can't love the world. And I'm not talking about showing the love of Christ and trying to get people to come to know Christ. I'm talking about loving the things of the world, worldliness. Jesus speaks highly of the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, but then in verse 4 he says this, but I have this against you, you abandoned the love you had at first. What love was that? The love of God. The love of service, the love of obedience. James 4.4, you adulterous people. (laughs) It's almost like James is preaching to the Hosea bunch, isn't it? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. You know, sometimes there are things that we watch on television that we should not watch on television. Sometimes there are things that we support that we should not support. Sometimes there are causes that are good, but we should not support that cause because of how that cause operates. We have to learn to be in the world and not of the world. That's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, I'm sending you out. And you're supposed to go and you're supposed to make disciples. But you're not supposed to be discipled by the the world that you're living in. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be changed and redeemed. And how are we showing the world that we are redeemed? How are we showing lost people that we are changed? How are we pointing people to Christ if we live just like everyone else. It's kind of like we're in that world where everybody wants to be different, just like everybody else. You want to be a rebel? You want to be different? You want to stand out? 
Be sold out for Jesus. Separate yourself from things that would draw you away from him and draw close to things that draw you closer to him. Young people, don't, don't date them if they don't love Jesus. Don't go out on a date with them if they don't love Jesus. You know why God says we're not to be unequally yoked? It's not because he's some big killjoy, because he knows how much pain and suffering that's going to bring in your life. If you get into a marriage with somebody who doesn't love Jesus, you're going to be in a mess. People ask me in April all the time, we, we do married, pre-marriage counseling when we're doing, I'm going to do a wedding, and they'll, you know, we'll say something or, or they'll talk about it and say, well, how do y'all, how do y'all make it? You know, y'all have been married so long and, and you're such a pain in the neck. How does she stay with you? Here, here's the secret. We both love Jesus more than we love the other. I love Jesus more than I love her, and she loves Jesus more than she loves me. So on those occasions when things get hard and it would be easy to leave, I don't leave because I love Jesus. And that's the relationship God wants us to have with him. That's the relationship he wanted Israel to have. That's the relationship that was broken, and the brokenness is seen in the relationship between Hosea and Gomer. Now, if you read the rest of that chapter, he promises forgiveness in the last half of the chapter, but only after God has drawn them and they've repented. Again, because God is righteous and holy, we cannot come into his presence until we have let go of any sin that we have in our lives. So we have to repent. We can't, we can't tell God, hey, I'm heading this way, but come on with me. That's not how it works. We have to repent of the sin that we have, the, the things that we're doing, and turn 180 degrees and head for him. So this is what we see here, a rebuke of their politicians, their leadership. Secondly, though, we see a rebuke of the people. Let's flip over to chapter 4. And we're going to hit several verses here. But chapter 4 opens with a proclamation of God's case against the children of Israel, against the people of Israel. And it sounds a lot like Paul's admonition of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Uh, Romans 125 or 123 would be a, a kind of a keynote verse there. He's saying that you have abandoned everything that you know is right and you've gone to everything that is sinful. You've gone to the wrong. And this is similar to what he says here. Listen to the key verses here, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. See, he's kind of building his legal case. It's like he's presenting the evidence to a judge. He's saying the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Here's the case. <clears throat> There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound like what we're living in now? There's no truth. That's my truth. I'm just living my truth. We've compromised the word truth. There's no faithful love. Well, well love wins, and you can't help who you love. And, and No, faithful love is not that amorous love it's not that erotic love that you can't control faithful love is that agape love that God has given us for one another we should love each other because Christ first loved us we should love people enough to get them the gospel we should love people enough to rebuke them when they're living outside of God's will we should love people enough to tell them they can't live their own truth and no knowledge of God I've seen so many people that will reference God. They will talk about God. And then they talk about a God with whom I'm unfamiliar. They talk, to a, they talk about a God who just promotes whatever life they want to live and whatever things they want to do. 
A God who has no standards. A God who has no uh, word of conviction and, con- and, and condemnation on living outside of His will. Now listen to verse 2. Here's what's going on in this land, he says. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. Again, <laughs> sounds like today. It sounds like 75 or 80% of the TV shows you watch. And the word cursing here is not just talking about cussing, as we'd say in the South, cussing. It's a larger swath of, of negative or false speech. It's, the word in Hebrew is Allah. And it means to bewail, to lament, to put a curse on, to curse or to swear, but also to take false oaths. He goes on in Hosea 10.4 to say they speak mere words, taking false oaths while making covenants. So God takes Israel to court. He brings this information out and he says, this is what you're doing. You're being unfaithful. You are prostituting yourselves spiritually. And the attitude of Israel in this time period, and all, really all through the Bible, again, we see it again in Isaiah. I'm going to give you another Isaiah verse in a minute. We see that same thing in humanity from start to finish. It's that, uh, I told Daryl this morning, it's the meme where the, the couple walking, y'all seen the meme where the couple's walking down the road and the guy turns to look at some other girl and you see the girl's face looking at him? That's us. We're the guy in that situation. We're always looking at the next shiny thing, the next tight dress or, or low-cut blouse or high-cut skirt or we're always, something is always appealing to us to draw our attention away from the cross, to draw our attention away from living a holy life, to draw our attention of making, away from making disciples. It gets our attention off of Jesus and it draws us into other things. Why? Because the attitude of our heart is the same as the attitude of the heart of Israel at this time. It is a promiscuous heart. It's a promiscuous look on our face. It's promiscuity to our core when it comes to the spiritual things. And if you don't believe me, look at some of the advertising we see. I'm going to give you some of these slogans. And you, you guys, this is time you got to wake your neighbor up. This is the response time that I want to hear. All right, so have it your way. Burger King. Just do it. No rules, just right. Outback Steakhouse. I, I can't say it. If I could say it in an Australian accent, you ought to got it. I, I, I'm not going to try that. Here's an old one. I don't know if anybody's going to remember this one. I can't, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to say it in this in the, the way they said it. Because you're worth it. Lord, I'll say there. Is that, is that an older one? Is that just y'all just remembered or is it still being used? All right, what do all those have in common? Listen, have it your way. Just do it. No rules, just right. Because you're worth it. All of these big companies and all these advertising agencies come up with the same type of a premise, which is what? We want what we want, and we deserve whatever we want. You talk about a, listen to me, you talk about a deadly cocktail of things running together. You want to ruin a marriage? Have a husband or a wife who has that attitude of have it my way, just do it. No rules, just right, because I'm worth it. You want to have a messed up church? Have a bunch of church members that feel that way. Have a bunch of staff members that feel that way. You want to have a messed up state? Have a bunch of state politicians that believe that way and think that way. I, I deserve it. Uh, no rules, just right. Have it my way. Some of y'all think God is like that. Again, people worship a God that seems to, that their God says, have it your way. Uh, James Pickering, my, my former pastor in Florella, a good friend of mine, 
He was telling this story, and I can't remember the pastor's name, but I think it was in like a, an old tent meeting or at a revival, and he said he had this old book. It looked like a Bible. He said, I don't think it was. But he stands up and he, he reads something that's very controversial, you know, very like restrictive. And he goes, well, nobody likes that, and he just tears that page out and throws it behind him. He said, we'll just take that out. And then he flips over some more and he reads another passage that's very convicting. And he, he said, we don't like that either. We'll tear that out. And he keeps going. I'll see where the premise is going. He keeps going and going until he finally, he's got one piece of paper, one page left in the Bible. And he looks at it and says, huh, look at there. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, here's the, here's the key. If you don't believe any of this, all the pages he had torn out, he rips it out and says, you can't believe that either. You see, that's the truth that we need to understand, that we can't have it our way. We need to have it God's way. We can't just do it. We better pray about it first. We better seek the Lord on it. No rules just right, no rules just wrong. We have been given rules, and we need to adhere. By the way, we should love the rules. We should love the rules. We hate, we hate the fence, and the fence keeps us from jumping over the cliff. We should love it. Hosea 4, 6 he says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I'll reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. Goodness, what a rebuke. What a frightening thing for God to tell the people. Then look at Isaiah 5.13. If you don't want to flip there, just make a note of there by Hosea 4.6. Isaiah 5.13. Listen to the similarities. Therefore, my people will go into exile because they lack knowledge her dignitaries are starving and her masses are parched with thirst what is the knowledge he's talking about are, it's only stupid people going into exile no it's our lack of knowledge of the things of God you can know how to do quantum physics and if you don't know Christ you'll be the smartest person in hell you can memorize war and peace and be able to describe the literature and the prose with, with resounding uh, beauty, beauty in your speech and you'll be the most eloquent person in hell without Christ. It's not a lack of head knowledge, it's a lack of heart knowledge. It's a lack of application of what the Word of God tells us to do. They lacked the knowledge of God, they lacked the knowledge of His Word and those two are interconnected powerfully. Let me give you a couple of statements on this. Number one, when there is no desire for God, there is no desire for His Word. And when there is no desire for God's Word, there's no real desire for God. Again, people talk about, yeah, I, I love God. Okay, well, describe this God. Well, He lets me drink and cuss, and I can sleep around, and I can gossip, and I'm looking at stuff on the Internet that I, nobody should ever even think about, much less look at, and He's good with it. That's not the God of the Bible. By the way, we, we live in a society that we had a coach, a high school coach, that was fired from his job for leading a prayer on the field after football games that nobody was required to come to. All he did was go out to the 50-yard line, kneel down and pray after football games, and they fired him, and he had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to get uh, some kind of satisfaction from that. He won his case, too, by the way. And yet, a young man gets injured in a football game, and all of a sudden, everybody in the world prays. And listen, I'm glad people prayed for DeMar Hamlin. I'm glad DeMar Hamlin is recovering. I hope the young man has a, a long life ahead of him. But, but do you see the hypocrisy? We had a high school coach we fired for praying at the 50-yard line, and yet both teams gathered at the 50-yard line, and you couldn't open social media without seeing pictures of it. We had a guy pray on ESPN, and he didn't get fired. Now, this coach got fired because he prayed by himself, and whoever wanted to join him could. He got fired. 
But people can pray now. On, listen, all of social media was full of people. Prayers for Damar. Uh, all this, you know, we hashtag everything with all this stuff. Wait a minute now. All of a sudden, we're all about prayer. Why is that? Because we thought it would get us something. See, that's the problem we have. Sometimes I think you and I are guilty of that. How's your prayer life? I guarantee you, your prayer life gets better when you got a sick kid or when you got a financial difficulty, when you got a, a job that you may lose or, or you're trying to figure out what God's will is to go to the next level or stay where you are. Listen to me. It shouldn't take that to get you on your knees. It shouldn't take calamity to get you to go to God in prayer. It shouldn't take hardship to get you to go to God in prayer. You should go to God in prayer because you get an opportunity to talk to the creator of the universe. But our adulterous hearts, our promiscuous hearts, are always constantly turning to the next thing that gets our attention. I don't have time to pray because i got to get on social media. What if, what if somebody tweets something and I don't know about it? <gasps> I can talk to the God of creation or I can uh, look on social media and see 75 pictures of somebody's cat. When there's no desire for God, there's no desire for His Word. Where there's no desire for God's Word, there's no real desire for God. When a pastor isn't focused on getting the people of God into the Word of God and the Word of God into the people of God, he is not operating in the will of God. Most of my job here as your pastor is not hand-holding or neck-hugging. It's to stand in this pulpit and say, Thus saith the Lord. And I'm telling you, I don't sleep well on Saturday nights because I'm thinking about the weight of what God has called me to do here on Sunday morning. I don't ever want to handle this word unless I am in the will of God, in obedience to the word and the, and the power of God, the Holy Spirit flowing through me. My job is to come up here and say, you guys better get it. You better hear it. And again, hopefully you don't just hear me preach and say, well, he's funny or he talks funny. He's funny how he said that or uh, that was a good quote or uh, what was that verse he said? No, this should make you want to go home and say, I've got to get more of this. Y'all, I promise you, I, I, the more I study the Word of God, the more I want to study the Word of God. But if I'm not trying to get you into the Word and the Word into you, then I'm just some idiot up here. I might as well be up here with a, with a box and a monkey, a, a carnival hat a, you know, in a and a cane. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. We should not show up for the party. We should show up for the word. We should not show up just for the music. I love music. I love to worship. But if we just come here to sing songs, and we don't come here to get in the word of God, let it get in us, we're coming for the wrong reasons. Hosea 4.12, my people consult their wooden idols and their divining rods inform them for a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. They act promiscuously in disobedience to their God. This, this is a sharp and comical uh, rebuke. Uh, by the way, one translation says uh, they, they, they get their messages from their sticks or something like that. That divining rod, here's what it is. They are the people of God in connection with God himself and yet they worship 
bricks and rocks and divining rods and they, they have all these little talismans that they hold on to that they think are somehow connecting them with their little g gods and they, they worship those things, they listen to those things rather than listening to God. And before you start getting on your high horse about how small-minded and ignorant that sounds, you and I do the same thing. We don't have divining rods, we have social media. We don't have a, 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 a wooden idol in our home, but we have a hundred things that take our attention off the things of God. We're more apt to tell somebody about our favorite football team or our favorite movie or our favorite politician or political view than we are to tell people about Jesus, the only thing that's going to give them any hope for eternity. Well, what if everybody who was an Alabama fan worshipped some brick out there on the corner of Bryant-Denny instead of uh, worshipping, praising the coach? What if all we talked about, not, not how good a job this coach is doing or this player is doing or the team's doing, but man, that one brick on the side of that building, I'm going to go sit in front of that brick. I'm going to put flowers in front of it. I'm going to go ask that brick what I should do with my life. That's the premise behind what they're doing. They're worshiping made things and ignoring the maker of all things. And again, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we'll find ourselves doing the exact same thing. Then in, in verse 14, he says, I will not punish your daughters when they act promiscuously or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go off with prostitutes and make sacrifices with cult prostitutes. I love this. We, we need to put this on a t-shirt. Where's Austin? Where, he's my t-shirt guy. Here, here's the t-shirt. People without discernment are doomed. Remember we talked about like things in the Bible that don't make a good uh, slogan or coffee cup t-shirt. People without discernment are doomed. It may not sound clever and cute, but it's the truth. Now, here's some background. Any Israelite father would likely expect that his daughter would be stoned to death if she was promiscuous, if she was adulterous, if she uh, had sex before marriage or cheated on her husband. That same Israelite man would very much uh, be in favor of probably a daughter-in-law who was promiscuous or adulterous being stoned to death. So, so there was a double standard going on. Our women are held to this standard in Israel where they, don't, they can't be promiscuous, they can't be adulterous, or we'll stone them. And yet Hosea, God is saying through Hosea, but the men themselves go off with prostitutes. They're, they're going, these cult prostitutes, these other religions would have actual men and women prostitutes, male and female prostitutes that worked at their temples of these other little g gods, and that was part of your worship was to have intercourse with these temple prostitutes. You're talking about deluded and fleshly, but I'm going to be honest with you, it ain't no better or no worse than some of the stuff I see today. In Deuteronomy 22, it says uh, in verses 13 through, through, uh, 30, uh, sorry, 13 through 21 that any Israelite girl that wasn't a virgin on her wedding night was to be stoned to death. And then in verse 22, it says, if a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. And then listen to this last sentence. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the way back in Deuteronomy, God is setting a standard for them to be faithful, and yet here they are in Hosea not being faithful. Not only not being physically faithful to their spouses or their covenant, but being spiritually unfaithful to God. Deuteronomy 23, 17, no Israelite woman is to be a cult prostitute. No Israelite man is to be a cult prostitute. Exodus 20, 14 gives us the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. But it's easy for us to focus on our own sins or, or the sins of others and ignore our own sins. And that's what that was going on here. They were being spiritually promiscuous, and yet they would say any woman being promiscuous ought to be stoned. In Hosea 4.15, he warns them not to corrupt Judah 
by the way, they really remember this is two kingdoms at this time, uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, and Judah. And so he's telling Israel, hey, quit acting the way you're acting. You're going to rub off on Judah. Reminds me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, He says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And then Hosea 4, 16, it says, for Israel is as obstinate as a stubborn cow. Israel is as obstinate as a stubborn cow. Hey, marriage tip, men. No matter how stubborn your wife may be, don't quote Hosea 4.16 to her. It will not go well for you. So God is basically saying this. He's laid out the case for their promiscuity. He's laid out the case for their adulterous attitude. And he's saying here, you are so hard-headed. You are so obstinate. Here's what he says. If you want to leave, go ahead. If you think that worshiping those other gods is going to get you something that I can't get you, have at it. Here's a warning for us. If you keep asking God to leave you alone, he will give you what you ask for. I'll say it again. People are like, how can a loving God send people to hell? He didn't send you to hell. You choose hell. How could a holy God send his son to die in your place? How could a righteous God... Come to earth in the form of man and live a sinless life and be crucified on a cruel cross, die and be raised from the, from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father for you. How, how, could a, how could a just and holy God condescend so much for sinful man? So we've seen a rebuke of politicians, a rebuke of the people. Next week we're going to cover one more rebuke in the return. Here, I'm going to be honest with you. I know this kind of feels like we just slammed on brakes and pulled the emergency brake. But this is where we are. Here's my hope. Even though this is an odd place to stop a sermon, we didn't kind of tie it up in a bow. There weren't three points in a poem, so we can all kind of leave with this warm, fuzzy, kumbaya feeling. Here's my hope. I hope that you would listen to these rebukes and maybe think about your own life. Am I living in a way that is representative of the promiscuity that God is condemning here in Hosea? Am I living like the Israelites lived? Have I forgotten how blessed I am to be a child of the king and now I'm living in a way that's contradictory to the rules that God has given me, the, 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 the structure that God has told me to live my life in? I'm not so ignorant or arrogant to think that people will come to Christ if I just preach a better sermon, that people will come to Christ if I ha- have the perfect sermon and tie everything up and land the plane perfectly uh, and make everything make sense. I, I, I don't believe that. When people come to Christ, it's because God draws them. No one can come unless God draws them, and nobody can get to God except through Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of men and women. So my my prayer is today that if if you sat here today and listened to these two rebukes, that you won't wait till next week and hear the other rebuke and the return before you repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ. If you are without Christ today, you are without hope. You are living an adulterous lifestyle, not worshiping the one true and living God. And you should want to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ. If that's you today, if you're without Christ, come find one of us. Uh, the band's going to come and uh, we're going to close our service with the time of worship. But, but if you know today that you don't have Christ, and these rebukes where he said, hey, you're being led by the wrong people and you're living the wrong way. You're living an adulterous lifestyle. 
spiritually. You need to repent of your sins and come to Christ. Come and find one of us today. If you're a professing follower of Jesus, but you're not living sold out for him, you are living just like Israel did. You are living in spiritual adultery. Repent of that. Rededicate your life to Christ and make today the day that you pivoted and you drew closer to Christ than ever before. I'm going to leave you with one statement and we're going to pray. God wants to take away our spirit of promiscuity and fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can win the battle over the flesh and be a child of God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I am thankful for today for another opportunity to get into your word. I pray that today your word will get into us. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know Christ, that today would be the day they would repent of their sins and put their trust in him. If there's anyone here who's made that declaration but hasn't been living that way, hasn't been living faithfully to the things that you've commanded them to do, I pray that today would be a day that they let go of those things and they draw closer to you than ever before. They rededicate their lives to be a sold-out follower of Jesus. If there's anyone here that needs to move their letter, join our church, whatever needs there are spiritually, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and convict and give us the courage to address these things. Your word says it's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. We don't get a second chance. If there's somebody here today, God, I pray you would give them the courage to step out and come and give their lives to Christ. Father, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. We pray all this in Christ's strong name. Amen. If that's you, you move now.